Hey, I'm Elizabeth Willits and I'm obsessed with helping as many women as possible achieve their boldest dreams after kids and helping you to navigate this messy and magical season of life. I'm a working mum with over 17 years of recruitment experience and I'm the founder of the Investing in Women job board and community. In this show, I'm honoured to be chatting with remarkable women, redefining our working world across all areas of business. They'll share their secrets on how they've achieved extraordinary success after children, set boundaries and balance, the challenges they faced and how they've overcome them to define their own versions of success. Shy away from the real talk? No way. Money, struggles, growth, loss, boundaries and balance. We cover it all. Think of this as coffee with your mates, mixed with an inspiring TED talk, sprinkled with the career advice you wish you'd really had at school. So grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, make sure you're cozy and get ready to get inspired and chase your boldest dreams or just survive Mondays. This is the Work It Like a Mum podcast. This episode is brought to you by Investing in Women. Investing in Women is a job board and recruitment agency helping you find your dream part-time or flexible job with the UK's most family-friendly and forward-thinking employers. Their site can help you find a professional and rewarding job that works for you. They're proud to partner with the UK's most family-friendly employers across a range of professional industries. Ready to find your perfect job? Search their website at investinginwomen.co.uk to find your next part-time or flexible job opportunity. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's Work It Like a Mum podcast episode. Today, I'm delighted to chat with Amanda Henderson, who works as a freelance HR specialist. Amanda left the corporate world after having her second child to set up Amanda Henderson HR. We'll be talking about the ins and outs of setting yourself up as a freelancer, finding clients, pricing, chasing invoices, setting boundaries and growing your freelance business. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to chat with you and learn more about you and your experiences and obviously Amanda Henderson HR. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so curious because, you know, so many people freelancing, it's becoming a really popular career choice. Was it something that you wanted to do? Had you entertained that thought before starting, you know, before having your children or when you first started in the corporate world? No, I'm still surprised and have to pinch myself um, that I am running my own business, to be honest. I think naturally I'm quite a risk averse person um, and it all came about through my network. So when I was on my second maternity leave, um, I was I, I just about completed my level seven CIPD. So HR was the area that I absolutely wanted to get into. And I was approached to do a contract uh, at that point. Um, and it was very interesting doing it. They knew that I would be taking calls with a six-month-old on my knee and mm-hmm. so on. Um, I just absolutely got, um, I guess, a real taste for it. Like, I enjoyed the work so yeah, much. Yeah. It gave me the chance to apply all my operational background uh, in the HR setting, which is where I thought, you know, would be what I could bring to a party. Um, and I I was a few how many months four months away from going back to work and 
it just became a bit of a now or never sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that first contract led on to a second contract. Um, and I started to think, okay, do, you know, do we do yeah. this? do we do this and I I use my LinkedIn network in a really big way uh, so I'm sure lots of industries are similar but hospitality it's uh, it's quite a small world. Is, was that your industry? Yeah that was my industry so I'd started with a company called Mitchells and Butlers who are yep. enormous and lots of people from M&B had gone on to other brands and other things so I was able to message lots and lots of people on LinkedIn with my sales pitch uh, as it were and that got the ball rolling and I actually ended up with clients sort of uh, from almost the I can't think of the best way to describe it, but it's like an offshoot of hospitality. So yeah. one of my clients is a marketing agency, for example. Oh, for but- the hospitality industry. Yeah, yeah. So they were doing um, like uh, employer value proposition stuff for another company that I'd worked with. So they asked me to come on board. And um, because I guess I'd got that four months of building yeah up and I was letting people know that I was doing it I was very lucky to have a bit of a a cushion as it were in terms of time and then I guess because of COVID and how the market changed so much I think um it it seemed to be very hard to find recruiters so I kind of knew that if it didn't quite go to plan um I'd probably be able to get a job relatively easily back recruiting which was the job that I was doing before I went on my two mat leaves so uh yeah I'm still in shock <laughs> I run my own business so were you sort of doing I feel you know sort of behind your employer's back were you keeping it quite on the down low that you were doing these contracts um whilst you're on maternity leave or did they know about so, it I was super I'm a super honest person almost to a fault my mum says you should always look after number one but I do yeah. feel it and it's loyalty and a need to be very upfront so I did let my last employer know that I've been asked to do the contract um and there is a bit in the contract about you know second employment I also needed to check whether it would affect my mat leave pay because I wasn't oh, yeah sure at that point um you know how that would pan out so no I was super honest and let them know but equally I was still very open to going back so I did yeah. do days uh in the months running up to it um just to be sure because the world had changed so much like I'd been off nearly three years because it was mat leave COVID mat leave and the business had changed a lot in that time changed ownership changed people so I did give it a fair shot um and it's almost down to my husband you know my husband has a lot more faith in me than I do uh, if I'm honest and he was the one that sort of push me out the nest and be like just do it just see yeah. what happens yeah. um yeah here we are so you were want you were in recruitment but you wanted yep. to move into HR so you hadn't so you basically did your did you be doing your CIPD is that right yeah so self-funding uh again I was very lucky that my employer paid for that um and it was all online and I'd started it before the level seven is quite a big commitment and I'd started it before I think it was before Isla was born Isla's my eldest um and just sort of working through the modules but then the provider wouldn't let me have a study break for having the kids so they told me that I needed uh, a sick note if I wanted a study break and I was a bit 
Uh, that that didn't feel great. <laughs> and that's surprising coming from like CIPD, <laughs> which is HR, which is all meant to be, you know, about people and. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't very thrilled with the provider and we had a few heated debates over that. But uh, yeah, I was completing uh, the level seven. I had exams to do and I had small children um, at that time. And I think it's one of, I'm sure we all have periods like this where we look back and we're not quite sure how it all happened and yeah, how, we, did how it. we got through it. But I guess if you know you've got to get something done, you always just put your head down and, and, and do it, I guess. Yeah, if you've got a deadline. Wow. So you you sort of mentioned that your early client, you got your first client because they came to you. How there'll be people listening to this that are maybe interested in setting up freelance and they want to know you know the ins and outs how do you find your early clients and get your business sort of off the ground and the money coming in yeah I think I said I was I, I, I was so lucky because of my network people within my network knew that I had um a goal of moving into HR in terms mm-hmm. of my career so it was actually um an agency recruiter that connected me with the right people for that first role Um, and this is someone that I've known for over 10 years we know each other really well and he had placed me in operational roles a million years ago when I was an area manager Um, and I guess that agency recruiter position meant that he knew lots of key decision makers in uh, hospitality businesses so that was how the first in came about and then the MD of that company was similarly um, a consultant Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would go and sort of sort businesses out um, and then move on to the next one. So that's where my second and quite substantial contract came from. The next business was I followed him. So partly because I was way too cheap and I know we're going to come on to fees Yeah, later. we'll talk about pricing, yeah. Way too cheap when I first started. Um, but, you know, I hope, you know, to think that he saw what I was hoping to offer, you know, and operational sensible approach to HR um so yeah I worked with him for a good period of time and I guess I was kind of thinking about it like how how do I build the week so what I've never wanted to do is have one commitment that is 100% to one client Mm -hmm. that feels too uh risky from a strategic perspective but it also um you know obviously there's IR35 to consider but it also blurs the line of that employee contractor relationship if you're completely uh, committed to that uh, contract and that will suit some people but something I was really mindful about was how I could use the opportunity of going into contracting almost to press the reset button on my ways of work working Mm -hmm. Uh, so all of my clients I had SLAs that would describe communication times and ways of working and what they could expect from me right from the off which actually I think a lot of employment relationships could benefit from doing as well Um, definitely some learnings Um, so yeah so I was talking about building my week so I would have I think my biggest commitment at the time was two days a week with one client yeah, with one client. That was the biggest when I started. Um, but that would be across the four days. So I want to always feel present to clients and available 
available. Um, but yeah, doing that sort of spread across the days. And then I was building on on top of that so you know I got a half day here and a full day there every month and then I also leaned back a bit on what I knew so I did go and work for the recruiter that I've mentioned already that knew yeah. me and connected me so I did some recruitment work for him because whilst that isn't what I wanted to be doing forever and um, you know I I think I'm pretty good at recruiting I hope yeah, say so um and that also meant that I could sort of build in a fixed base into the business that for a period of time I knew that x amount of money was coming in um and from there on in it's all it's all worked really nicely if I'm honest so I think because of having smaller contracts when one's gone away it's not been a period of crazy panic but then others seem to have come about and there's an awful lot to be said for obviously doing a good job and then getting those recommendations because I've I've not actually done any proactive marketing other than LinkedIn. Everything mm-hmm. has come about uh, doing a bit of work for someone and then they've mentioned me to someone else and so on and so on, which is, is a very privileged position to be in, I'm sure. But then also I need to tell myself, well, you know, I must be doing something right yeah. for people to be passing things on, I guess. You mentioned you were doing some initial sort of messages, some outreach messages outreach mm-hmm. messages on LinkedIn there'll be some yeah. people that feel quite you know potentially quite icky about doing sort of sales <laughs> messages yeah. yeah or you know they don't feel very confident how did you approach those outreach messages when you first started hello to all our listeners this is Elizabeth Willits your host of the work it like a mom podcast and founder of the investing in women job board and recruitment site and I'm here today to tell you all about our transformative career coaching services whether you're returning to work climbing the corporate ladder or seeking a complete career change our coaching is designed for anyone aspiring to make a significant impact in their professional life We offer personalised guidance on crafting standout CVs that tell your unique story, effective strategies for nailing your next job interview, and expert tips on optimising your LinkedIn profile to attract the right opportunities. And here's the best part. As a valued listener, you'll get an exclusive 10% discount. Just use the code WORKITLIKEAMUM when you book your session. Visit us at investinginwomen.co.uk forward slash career coaching services to start your journey towards career success. Let's work together to achieve your professional dreams with the Investing in Women Career Coaching Services. Yeah, it's a really hard one to craft. Uh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying about the ick. And yeah, it is the only time I, I've done uh, anything like that. Um, I, you know, I guess it took me a while to write sort of my sales pitch. And because it was a LinkedIn message, I didn't want it to be too long. I think that's yeah. really we all get flooded with LinkedIn messages and I knew that I needed to capture really early doors what I was able to offer and I guess the time that I was going to market was when we were still feeling um, the fallout of the pandemic and unfortunately lots of people uh, had had downsized their HR departments um, and were reducing their fixed costs in that way to help the business survive 
And I guess my pitch to market was, you know, I can provide a service, but with a lower commitment from you because it's only sort of one day a week. So very early doors, I think you need to get in that business pitch. You know, how how are you making a difference to the day-to-day of my business in terms of cash flow? And then how are you making a difference in terms of the value uh, that you can add? So Mm -hmm. the second bit was about how, because of my experience uh, as an operator, as an area manager, you know, I was used to managing teams of sort of 10, 12 people. I was used to being accountable for a P&L. You know, I could say to, I could say to restaurateurs, you know, I know how your fridge should be organized. And I also know how you can avoid a tribunal. Um, it was a, I wanted it to feel tangible. Oh, yeah. uh, I think HR's probably got a little bit of a um an image problem that a lot of wonderful people are doing amazing things to overcome, but where, oh, HR don't get us, you know, they're over here in their ivory tower or head office and that's that's not me. Like I get it, I've been there, I've run the business here's how I can add value Mm -hmm. so in a really waffly way how can you affect the business immediately in terms of a cash flow perspective and then how do you add the value when you are there you know what's that USP yeah and how did you know which businesses to target them? Because obviously there's thousands and thousands of businesses thousands. on LinkedIn. So I, <laughs> I just went for people that I knew. And like I said, I was really lucky that I'd worked for such a big company early on in my career and people had gone on to to different brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, equally, people, I guess, throughout my career had, have gone on to different brands. And I wasn't – so a lot of the people that I was targeting, targeting were in senior positions and in decision-making decision, positions, put my teeth in um, – um, but I was also reaching out um, to pe- just people that I knew because you never know what mm. what need their friends have got or yeah. their family have got. And there's definitely a bit of luck with that. We're catching people at, at the right time. Um, but, you know, if I need... I guess if I needed to, I would go again and I would look at, say, the town that I live in. So I live in the Midlands. There are lots of businesses that I know just from being out and about with the kids that I can almost assume they have zero HR presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and those would be the one I would ones I would target. I think there's a bit of a sweet spot with sort of small to medium sized businesses mm-hmm. that you know there's sort of a a cusp of where you can't quite afford full time HR, but actually you've got enough people in your team that you definitely need uh, some HR. And when we're talking about HR, there's that whole range, right? So I have thought about doing tiered pricing. Yeah. So whether there's like an amount where, you know, I'll just advise with keeping you on the straight and narrow from a legal perspective. And then the next tier up is, okay, let's look at how we do job descriptions and performance management, that sort of thing. And then maybe the next tier up, we're talking about culture. That's something that I've toyed with and that might enable me to um, support different businesses in different ways. Yeah. Interesting. Do you know, it's really interesting what you said about the outreach and the the element of luck and just catching people at the right time. Because I've got two freelancers that work for me that too, they do slightly different things, but they reached out to me and they reached out to me on the right day it was a day when I was so busy I was working really late on both those occasions I thought I just can't do it all by myself anymore 
I think there is there is so much benefit actually if you can get over that ickiness to just doing that reach out and um you know they've been with me now both of them now for over a year so you mentioned IR35 there'll be people listening to this and thinking what's IR35 so do you mind just giving the listeners an overview of IR35 summary Uh, definitely not an expert but just at a very top level so the government brought in some legislation with a very sexy name IR35 um, and And it basically is designed to stop uh, employers, organisations getting out of their responsibilities for paying things like national insurance and so on by using contractors instead of employees. And what the difference is, is um, there's a, a questionnaire that you can do on the government website that will help you understand whether or not you might may or may not fall out of IR35. But if I was working full time for a client for an extended period of time, it would be quite hard to argue that actually this is an employment relationship and me Mm. invoicing them actually is just allowing the organization to get around their other responsibilities with uh, national insurance and so on. So it's something to be aware of, uh, but the, the questionnaire on the government website is dead easy to look at and it might be worth doing for every client you work with uh, because all the situations can be different. Interesting. So you're thinking of freelancing and you get offered something five days a week, long term, and that might not be a freelance No, it might not be freelance. But you know, I think also I would say, you know, don't be scared to take a mix of different types of contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it might be that a fixed term contract comes up where technically you are an employee employee uh, but that doesn't stop you from you know you're still you can still trade as your business you can still do extra projects so you've still got your business after it you know I don't think it's necessarily a it has to be a hundred percent transition to being a contractor because the world's changing all the work that you're doing Elizabeth different types of contracts are coming up and it might be that actually a blend of being an employee and being a contractor actually works for you so yeah I don't think it's all or nothing if that makes sense brilliant so you spoke a little about pricing so you said you felt you were too cheap when you first started and I think we all feel like that but it's you know (laughs) it's hard isn't it when you launch you don't have you don't really have a track record you just trying to get your foot out the door so talk to me about pricing what was your pricing strategy then and what is it now how has your pricing evolved yeah gosh what what I would tell myself two years ago going yeah so when I first started I made the terrible error of working out what my day rate was based on my salary which is a massive fail from a contracting perspective because you know you as a as a contractor you should be paid for the fact that you're taking risk by not being an employee yeah. you need to factor in the fact that you don't get paid for holidays and so on um you know there's lots of other benefits that you need to factor in so to anyone listening, do not work out your day rate on your current salary. Don't do it. Um, and I think my approach with my pricing has been bad. Um, I think it's been slow to adapt um, and to increase. And I, I, you know, I now set a day rate that's about two and a half times where I started on two years ago. And part of that is absolutely going to be uh, experience and recommendations and that, you know, the power of that in this new role. 
goal. Um, but part of it's absolutely a confidence thing. Like I wish I'd been more confident going to market because mm-hmm. actually I'd had a lot of great work experiences. I'd worked with lots of different types of businesses in positions with quite a serious responsibility. Um as well as the studying, which we've mentioned. And I wish, wish, wish I'd been more confident. And I think I probably suffered from our old friend, uh, imposter syndrome yeah. uh, or imposter thinking, which I think is a nicer way uh, to, to think about it. Uh, follow Dulcie Swanston on LinkedIn. She talks oh, all right, I'll follow her now. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I... I was worth what I was asking mm-hmm. and that really annoys me and that is something that I still battle with today like I said I've tried I've consciously tried to set boundaries with you know being stricter on the hours that I'm working and my availability and so on but I always I, I've got this little thing on my shoulder always saying to me you know are you giving the best your value you know yeah are you good enough because I've got that I've got that voice as well on me (laughs) oh and it's mad and I I try and rationalize it and I'm so humbled to be in a position where all my works come from referrals I've never had a single challenge on my availability or the quality of my work but I can't I can't unhook myself from that thinking. Um, so I'm actually, uh, I've just signed up for a coach. I was uh, going to say, because I've got a coach and she, yeah. I had her when I first launched and then I've had to come with her again and she made me up my prices um, yep. last month when I signed back with her. And I had to do it because I knew if I didn't do it, yep. she'd be cross. Yep. <laughs> and you need yep. that someone there actually saying, no, I think you need you know particularly when you work on your own and you don't have a manager yeah and ask oh, is this all right have I done this right actually it's very good to have a coach yeah I'm really excited to start yeah. that that bit about working on your own is really interesting so I, I've never really had a, an office job um on my grad scheme a million years ago we spent stints in the office working in the different functions but the majority of my work in life has been um remote uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's been quite lonely you know as an area manager and even when I was a recruiter that was all uh mostly working from home or would be in the restaurants a little bit and actually when you're in that position you also don't know what good looks like so I've never I've never sat next to a people director doing their thing I've had relationships with uh HR business partners but in a more removed way just because of the structure of the business and I that hasn't helped I would say in terms of me assessing my own value and what I bring to the party it's all me sort of sense checking against myself and what I know but what I know isn't the world out there and the world at large so I do feel like there's a bit of a missed opportunity there just from the way my working life's been set up I think it's interesting what we're talking about pricing because we're obviously talking about it from a you know a business perspective but there is a lot of evidence that shows that you know in corporate setting men are more likely to ask for the pay rises you know or and you will know this from recruitment that you know men are more likely to push back and say no I want a bigger job offer um and it, it oh you know it's sort of I wonder if it is a confidence thing or if it's a you know a thing that maybe women don't want to rock the boat we don't want to be unlikable yeah. 
Yeah, I think all of those things, I think it's such um, a complex issue. And I, you know, I, I advocate and I encourage the women in my network so much to, to get what they deserve. But it's hard to take your own advice sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think the co- I've loved having my coach. I'm a real advocate for having that accountability <laughs> um, so yeah I hope you know hope you um, you get on well with with yours so also would talk this is another thing that I think is really um, important to talk about with freelancing is the invoicing so yes. Yes. getting paid so you've obviously set your pricing you've done the work how do you get paid as a freelancer <laughs> yeah there's been some learnings there as well so I um yeah just to be no context so I set up as a, a sole trader and I'm just going through the process at the moment of setting up as a, a limited company and yeah finally using accounting software which I've never used before so uh but yeah that's interesting yeah, um okay. in terms of invoicing so again I wish I could rewind the clock two years and just tell myself to sort it out so I invoiced at the end of the month um I was only so I did I'd have about six or seven invoices a month to do so yeah, not, it's not huge yeah take a little bit of time but it wasn't crazy so I was doing it myself and then I don't know why but in my head I I had somewhere that I had to offer 30 days payment terms yeah why did I do that I don't know why am I saying it's okay do you know what but that I'm like looking at you thinking oh that's on my invoice but I think that's because on my invoice (sighs) software that's the standard you know it just seems to be standard I wish I hadn't done it. So I work all of January and then I probably won't get paid till March because they might not pay on time. Yeah, because they run not- to their own payment schedules. And they, oh, we only pay them on the 4th of the month or whatever they do. <laughs> that daft. So that uh, I would change that if I went back. But I think I just thought it's what contractors did. Um, on the whole, people were pretty good at paying me, but I didn't have in any late payment clauses or anything like that, which was daft again. I also didn't have any clauses in my uh, SLAs, uh, service level agreements around actually downing tools if you didn't pay me, um, which is mad. Uh, And I did have a a case that cost me, I lost out about £1,500 with a client that just went AWOL. And it it was a lot of money. It was quite early doors. It was a a lot of work time-wise because my day rate was so low at that point. Um, and I, I did try and take them to small claims courts, but something else to watch out for, top tip everyone, is the business was set up in a very complex mix of companies and sub-companies and parent companies and uh, the name on my bank statement of who was paying me was different to the company that I was invoicing. Like looking back, it was all very odd. And then obviously I had... I. It didn't work at the trying to do a small claim because it was all such a mishmash um, of which business I was actually trying to claim back against. So that was a really big learning for me. And that was relatively early doors. So I started part time in the April, went full time in the September. And this is about in the December with one of my mm. clients all went bad. But learnings we've got to take the learnings so now I'm uh, moving all my clients to my uh, my limited company so obviously it's a separate legal entity as a legal company so I've recontracted on all of my SLAs so my retained clients now pay up front 
Why wouldn't you? Um, payment terms are a lot shorter. So I think it's uh, seven days now. And then if if I'm not paid, that I'm when just not paid to that yeah. client. Yeah, until they pay me. Um, my biggest client currently is still in arrears but they pay within seven days of the invoice um, and they've sort of rolled over. So again, when that comes to an end, which it will in about the summer, I know I've got some capacity coming up in Q3, um, I will recontract again, depending on what that uh, project looks like. Um, But yeah, I would definitely say to everyone, like, like you've earned your money, make sure you get your money um, in terms of your terms of payment and everything. Mm-hmm. But also don't have a set SLA, like different things will work for different businesses. Like you said, some businesses have got their own set pay runs and yep. no matter ask, you're getting paid on the fourth and that's that. And um, so, yeah, just be flexible, but don't be afraid to just say right from the off, you know, here's how we work and here's why I work. Um, because it's not great when things that don't come into the bank account. Absolutely. It's been a real, <laughs> real lesson. Do you write your own contracts or did you get a legal person? Yeah. So I, I don't actually do full contracts. I just work with service level agreements agreements um, and they've massively evolved uh over the years with my different learnings um and that's worked fine and I think I guess with the services I'm offering that that has worked out fine where it's been more project-based work I might do separate proposal documents that would detail uh, a bit more specifically around um you know what is involved in that specific project um and what it's going to cost and so on but no I found service level agreements uh to work fine for me um and if you know, I'm more than happy to share mine with anyone if they want to drop me a line on LinkedIn or anything. That's yeah. completely fine. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. So you also, before we jumped on the call, you also said how you feel freelancing has accelerated your learning, your career. You've done things you would never have done in a corporate setting. Do you want to just expand on that? Yeah, it really has. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about. So uh, my biggest contract at the moment Uh, three days a week I'm people director for uh, a small hospitality business in London and I have to catch myself a lot that I've been asked to do this role and I think what freelancing has given me is, is such a breadth of experience very very quickly and I've done an enormous range of things in the two years um that I just I can't help but think back to sort of a traditional in inverted commas career path where you know if I'd have perhaps stayed in regular employment uh recruiters would have looked at my CV they wouldn't have seen any specific HR roles on there they would have said okay at best you know maybe coming as a HR business partner and then I'll do that for four years and then maybe I'd look to be ahead of people and then that would be another four years and I could easily be 12, 15 years down the line in my HR career and then only them potentially getting to the role that I've achieved now. Mm-hmm. And I feel very lucky to be in that position. But then also it makes me a little bit sad because I think there are so many people uh, that have so many different experiences that aren't in a position necessarily where they can take the risk to become a freelancer 
but recruiters and hiring managers, this isn't all on recruiters, um, and hiring managers can have quite fixed ideas as to what they want from the next yeah. hire. And I, I guess I hope I'm kind of proof that it can work if you pull from uh, perhaps a more non-traditional background because there are so many crossover skills to be had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I think doing my level seven CIPD and my other qualifications put me in really good stead as well. It's a bit of a combination. But I would really say if anyone listening is it a hiring manager or a recruiter, I guess just think what else someone can bring to the party. And if you only come from a traditional career path, I guess you're potentially only bringing quite a particular set of skills. Mm-hmm. Um and there might be more within someone that the CV's maybe not fully describing. Yeah. So you talked, when we speak about pricing, you spoke about the little voice on your shoulder that says, oh, you're not good enough. <laughs> yeah. And I, because I have that voice. <laughs> and I'm sure you feel the same as me. It's then, how do you then set boundaries with your client? Because you want to go over and above. You want to prove yourself. You want to prove that your small business can compete with the big boys. How, you know, and, and you can maybe do that for a little bit and then you know, inevitably you get burnout. So how, you know, how do you set boundaries and what does your typical day now look like now? Maybe to how, yeah, how it started. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, so I think if you're working with multiple clients, I would really strongly encourage having um, a, a block mindset with your day. So initially I was trying to do something for one client and then the phone would ring for another client. And I thought, oh, I've got to answer it because they're paying me. So I've got to answer that call immediately. And then I've got to reply to that email. And that's not a productive way of working. So I quickly found a rhythm where actually I was just kind of booking my day in hour or two hour slots where I was fully committed to that client. Um, and I'd taken on work that I knew you know, would fill the week. Um, So that was very, very helpful. And that also helps with billing. Because what I was really worried about was that someone would come back to me with a challenge of, oh, have you have you really done four hours on that? That was all that was a really big fear of mine that I can't rationalize. And actually having it was just an Excel spreadsheet with all my clients in different columns and what I'd done on what day and how many hours kind of gave me the reassurance that, no, I I did do all of that. So I was never asked for it, but I had that and that helped. We managed my time and gave me the backup if ever I was asked to justify what I was charging, which I never was. Uh, so that's the madness. Um, in terms of my day, I guess like a, a lot of us, I've got hard boundaries with the kids. So the kids are in nursery three days a week. Um, my mum and stepdad have them on Tuesday and then we have girly thursday uh so i've got two little girls and girly thursday is sacred uh only in exceptional circumstances am i available on a thursday and i've I've been very clear with all of my clients from the off that that's that's how it is yeah um there's definitely times uh like for all of us where kids have been poorly or you know something's happened that has cut into the work day but i don't mind picking stuff up in the evening if needs be um so yeah one thing I would like to get better at is like going for a walk at lunch and all the good advice that I would give my clients for healthy working lifestyle (laughs) again quite bad at taking my own advice but um yeah I'm waffling a little bit but that that block booking out of the day and the tracking of the hours I found really helped 
helpful. Yeah. And there's probably an app or a software where you can do that as well, right? Because that's quite a normal behavior for agencies with booking work. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, a lot of consultancies will, you know, track charge, don't they, by mm. the hour? So there probably is. <laughs> yeah. um, and what's next for Amanda Henderson HR? Is it just you at the moment? Are you planning? Yeah, just me uh, for now. Um, but like I said, I'm just registering. Um, I'm waiting for my VAT registration, which is so slow. Uh, so Thread HR Limited will be launching on LinkedIn soon. Oh, okay. Uh, so it won't be Amanda Henderson HR. No, and that's... Um, Again, quite a strategic move because I want to work with more people this year and I've made some great connections um, with people that could work as associates that I've got to know and that uh, are ready for work. Um, And I'm very excited to start working with associates and working I guess moving more into that business owner mentality like it's not sustainable for me to be doing everything I've definitely been working at over 100% capacity because you don't know when the next next bit like money's coming in and so on and I, I need to move away from that mindset and I need to I need to remove the expectation that I'm doing the work as well. So with yeah, with Thread HR Limited because HR done well, yeah. holds a business together and makes it stronger. Um, yeah, work with associates this year, and I, you know, I guess an ideal as well for me and a, a personal goal would be to work with uh, other mums that are looking to work flexibly and do stuff. There's lots of project based work that comes across my desk uh, that would really suit uh, associates and people that want to work in a more flexible way. Brilliant. So, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you, Thread HR, and yes, all, potentially all an Um Yes, yeah, so Amanda Henderson. I think CIPD is my uh, name on LinkedIn. Thread HR. I think I'm going to put it live as soon as this blooming VAT registration comes through. So that'll be yeah. in the next week or so. And Amanda Henderson HR uh, is also on LinkedIn. Um, another project for me is that I need to sort a website out. <laughs> Oh, do you know, I've got a brilliant developer. I can recommend them to you after Lovely. the recording. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you and learn more about freelancing and how you've set up your business. Oh, lovely to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Work It Like a Mum podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share the link with a friend. If you're on LinkedIn, please send me a connection request at Elizabeth Willett and let me know your thoughts on this week's episode. You can also follow my recruitment site, Investing in Women, on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep on chasing your biggest dreams.